Welcome to Bugs and Beards, the podcast home for everything fly fishing and fly tying. Kick back as we sit down and talk with some of your favorite fly tires and fishermen while we discuss with them the tips and techniques they've learned on the river and behind the vice so that you can use those lessons learned to make your time more effective. Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of the Bugs and Beard podcast. This time we have the continuation of last week's episode featuring Pat Weiss, world team member for Team USA Fly Fishing, and he shares a wealth of knowledge with us on the many subjects in fly fishing and the competitive end of it especially. And uh, this episode is great because we dive into some other areas like what it takes to be a competition fly fisherman for one, the mentality level, and uh, a couple other topics like that that are just good information. So if you didn't hear the first episode, please make sure you go back and listen to the last one and uh, because you're going to pull a lot of info out of that one too. And as always guys, check us out on all our social media platforms like Facebook. You can find our podcast on our webpage at bugsandbeard.com and also on your favorite podcast listening apps like Stitcher, iTunes, and Spotify. Thanks again and enjoy the show. I did want to ask you, who's your favorite f- person to compete against? Oh boy, this can go. This is good. could be current. This could be in you know in the past. It could be in this room. You know, <laughs> oh, man, I really got him on this favorite, one. Yeah, this is he's favorite person to compete against. I mean, you, with that's just semantics, you know. Well, the. Well, I used to I used to love to fish against Bill Studler. I don't know who that is. Yeah, Bill was around in the the early inception of this stuff. He was one of the first guys to really start throwing comps and things around this area. But I've heard the name, but I never. Bill met him. would get so into it. You know, he would get so excited, and he'd like to talk trash. Yeah, I never talked trash. Like or very competitive. That. Oh, very competitive. Super competitive. Not like us anymore. So I used to like to have Bill in my group. <laughs> just to just to get on them. Would yeah. he get in his head? Because there's some guys that if you get on them, they yeah. get in their head today. Yeah. What? <laughs> Bill would trash talk anybody. I saw Bill trash talk people. I saw Bill talk trash talk Lance Egan during a session. <laughs> like he was upstream from him or something. They kind of met at the buffer there. You know, I, he he was tremendous. But not sarcastically, like. No, he meant it. Oh, he meant it. Okay. Yeah. I'd do that. I'd do that sarcastically. Sure. I probably have yeah. before. I'm sure I have too. No, there, sarcastically. I mean, there's always, you know, the just joking around and just oh, ribbing yeah. people. Yeah. Bill, man, he get he would get so into it. He'd get so fired up. Other than that anymore, man, I just you can't think that way. No. You know, it's it's a lot easier said than done, but you can't be thinking about who's in your group or all that stuff you just got to go fish right but like but in the same note you know hanging out wise not like oh I, I like fishing against him because i could beat him every time not like that you know or you know when you're fishing a lake with somebody and you're like oh man i, ha- I have him in my group he's beat me a few times yeah oh, there's plenty of those for me yeah. plenty of those for me you can... uh you know there's there's a lot more that I either like or don't mind fishing with that I don't anymore. Yeah, you know, which is I just, really nice. Yeah, it, the early on stages of this stuff, I think there was there were certain people that had a certain personality that gravitated towards it, and they were we're all competitive. But these right. guys were like out there, you know, like try hard like not not fun to be around type of you know right overly competitive and it wasn't really fun to be like in a boat or or anything like that yeah you gotta have fun i mean what's your best session when you have fun right Right. well yeah i mean anymore if it's working you know yeah if what i'm doing is working it becomes becomes the best but pretty much everybody anymore if you're controlling or whatever you can t- turn it on and off oh yeah you know you be serious when you have to be serious 
you be a dork when you when it's time to be a dork. You know, right. just that's what I love about it. I can, I mean I I'm always I mean there's there's times to be serious, but yeah, it's not going to benefit you by being this like hyper tunnel vision super focused robot the entire time. Right. It's like you're in the parking lot, dude. I ain't going to help you none. Right. right. Do that when you're fishing. The rest of the time, screw it. Right. Well, when you, you keep saying about when you started, who was the guys that kind of mentored you, got you started in it, pushed you towards the competition end? Uh, it would have been Sean Crocker. He, I think it was 2010. He was getting a group of people together to go out to Colorado to fish the America Cup. It was like the second or third year of the America Cup. It had gone through a couple of phases, and it was a team tournament at one point in time, and they were using a split shot at other points in the time. 2010, I think it went to basically FIPS rules, and it was five-person teams. And a mutual friend of ours, Greg Glitzer, called me said, Hey, I'm doing this thing. We're going out. We need, we need a fifth. So I was like, huh? A what? <laughs> a tournament. I'm like, how did they even do that? So I knew nothing about it. Looked it up online. Talked to the wife. Karen's like, go for it. Do that. That'll be, you know, blah, blah, blah. And had no idea. Like when the national championships in 2009 were in State College, I didn't even know. You know, it was three miles from my house. I had no clue that it existed or they were being held or anything. So we went out to the America Cup, and there was six or seven different countries represented, not as whole teams, but as parts of teams and things like that. And there's buses, and you're wearing, you know, ID tags and all this <laughs> stuff. And I was like, whoa. It was even more serious than all yeah. ours today. Like, except for Worlds, probably. Um, that, it was more along the lines of, like, how nationals are. Okay. Um, maybe a little more than nationals. But it was just such a culture shock to me that I was like, this is, this is pretty cool. You know, they load you up on the buses, and then you're driving along, and you get to these places, and you've got numbers, and they're calling names off, and you're <laughs> splitting up, and you're like, whoa. This is this is getting real. <laughs> you can see these guys coming over from Poland and stuff like that, and they just got they got everything, you know. Rod tube that's like as big around as a five gallon bucket, like twenty five rods in there and all this stuff, and just fly boxes after fly boxes and all these crazy tippets and things like that that I'd never seen. Like, whoa, there's a whole there's a whole another side of this that I didn't know. Yeah, it existed wasn't popular at all. here. Right. And we all, everybody that was on the team was like, wow, we need to we need to start doing this. Yeah, and that's what you guys have been doing for the past nine years. Yeah. And ever since then, you know, those early years, there was just a, a handful of weekend tournaments, and most of those were just like one-day deals. Right. But it's gotten progressively bigger each year in the number of tournaments that there are and the the places that they are so it's there's a lot of different states doing having competitions now that never that, had them before right yeah it just takes one person oh yeah. right absolutely like ken up in new york you know there was nothing going on there now it's like a couple of year the hotbed yeah mm. yeah so how much is how much has the competition world changed from the time you've gotten into it until now? Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's incredible how different it is. When you first, like when we first started showing up to these, there were guys that had been in it for longer. And you, I don't know if this is the right way to put it, but you could almost outclass somebody with just gear because guys had you know they had high-end nymph rods they had the good hooks right they had the good beads all that stuff that you couldn't just accidentally come across you had to have a connection somewhere you had to blah blah blah, blah. so you could kind of 
almost outclassed, for lack of a better term. Right. Certain people just when they showed up. And now, like I said, I mean, just look at the walls. Yeah. Right. Here. Yeah, I can imagine that it's like, because people can, can, there's a lot of resources to get really good. And there's a lot of exposure. Oh, there's, you know, all sorts of stuff on the internet now. Yeah. You know, and just, just the availability of the materials. Yep. So now you can go on, you know, competitiveangler.com and get stuff from all over the world that even three years ago do was it. virtually, right. I mean, you had to jump hoops to get some of this stuff. Now you just you dial up the web address from a place in Latrobe and everything is there. Stuff yeah. from Slovakia, Pol- you know, just all over the world, Romania. There it is. You know, you can have it in two days. Yeah, that's pretty right. crazy. Yeah. But the hooks, too. The, the hooks. There was only a couple brands of barbless hooks a handful of years ago that were available to us. I mean, you had your Skulkas, the Hannocks. Hens. The, really we're just coming around. You really them. couldn't see those okay. or find those. Dohikus. Yeah. And then there were some places that had, like, off like store brands these little boutique places in western europe and now i mean there's oh yeah you can't even keep track of the nameplates right you can get them anywhere i said outside of the internet just regular shops are starting to carry that sort of thing now yep. oh and, and now, honestly like we don't hardly sell daiichis anymore right for years we sold tons and tons of daiichis now we can't keep firehole on the shelf we can't keep the barbless hooks on the shelf. And it, so, like, the mentality of even, not even just the competition fishermen, but just the local recreation fishermen is barbless and stuff right. like that. So it's been a, you guys have been a trendsetter for the rest of the industry. The, the quality of the hooks in general is a lot better than it was. It's like, in those early years, like, they would send the seconds and the junk over the US. to us and the hooks you got were you go through 25 and you might have 10 12 15 that were right. good and the other ones were they were something messed up about them varying from like not even having a point to not being a jig hook when it was supposed to be a jig hook or and the the metal was soft for the majority hmm. of them hmm. and these were Basically, like, not third world, but this was small scale home manufacturing. Yeah. You know, that they, they weren't using, you know, quality like Japanese steel. Right. This was, <laughs> these were some. You never like, knew what you were going to get. This and you, batch yeah. might be recycled or something. Right. Right. You never knew what you were going to get, even if you were over there, but you knew what you were going to get if they knew it was coming over here. Hmm. But now. They've started moved into this into these markets, and now we're getting the same hooks that they were getting over there. Right. It wasn't like that. Hmm. That well, sounds terrible. Back in my day, <laughs> yeah. spent, back, back. You know, you'd have a hook that you liked. You know, like well, it was an old Mustad nine four eight four zero. You know, we'd spend tons of hours grinding the, the barbs off, really? like with a Dremel. Yeah. Because those, you know, you could count on that steel. Yeah. You knew what that steel right. was going to do, and you could get them. You could physically go to the store and buy them. And you just file the barb off to make it legal. Because you never knew what you were going to get when you ordered them from somewhere. Hmm. Heck, it would take weeks yeah. for them to show up. Right. That's crazy. I mean, that's, I mean, we have so much stuff. Like, man, if you saw how many hooks I have at home, you'd be like, I mean, yeah. probably the same way, but like, yeah. Oh, yeah, I got bags full of them, yeah. I mean, even looking around here, I mean, that's, you got all the things you need. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just sitting here thinking another thing that's changed that we've discussed, not so much on the podcast, but we often discuss here in the shop on our Bugs and Beard Night, is leaders and how your leader has changed over the years. My leader... I've gone through just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of yards of leader material over the years. Um, I haven't done as much these last couple of years because I've finally just realized that I'm not 
going to be able to get what I want with the rules that are out there hmm. for the FIP stuff. Uh, I used when I first started, there was no leader rule. You could have it as long as you wanted. It didn't matter where the knots were. The only <laughs> thing it just had to either be level or progressively tapered. So if you wanted a section to be eight inches long, you made a section eight inches long. If you wanted to have you know the leader to hand and have you know 60 70 80 foot of butt section you could do that well that was a lot too for the europeans had a big hand in that because they didn't have the opportunity to get the fly lines and stuff like that that we had so i there was something about that yeah you know i don't i'm not sure yeah that's what i had always heard that you know they didn't have a lot of the materials we had so their leaders were long just because of lack of availability to get like in poland and stuff like that well those guys were i mean they were the ones that that basically invented half of this stuff yeah so i i don't know i know there was always a big push that you're not quote unquote fly fishing if you don't have fly line out and that's right that there's just as much of it in the phipps community for lack of a better term than there is just out general right you know so they from what i understand you know two degrees removed from it they were afraid that they were getting too far away from quote unquote fly fishing so they went and had the the rule that the leader could only be two times the length of the rod and that got fly line back in the deal but it also changed the way a leader would behave but and then they went further, and they regulated the distance you could have between knots. Which, they did it because there were some guys, I think, in the Czech Republic. They saw some Frenchmen doing it. They just had a daisy chain of knots. Float that baby. It was greased, oh, okay. Had them all greased up and was just using it for flotation. Gotcha. And they didn't like that, so they changed it. But by doing that, they kind of regulated out building any sort of meaningful tapers right into your into your lines or into your leaders so now it's only a foot yeah it's a foot now which I mean, you could do a lot in a foot yeah you know i used to have a tapered section built out at the end of mine where in that foot i'd have five knots can't do it anymore so i've kind of tailed off in my frankenstein leader making i still go down the rabbit hole every once in a while but the leader i'm using now 99 percent of the time is the leader i was using starting i think in 2012 still the same wow. same one the only thing different about it now is that now we can use the tippet rings so i have a tippet ring on the end of that and so you do use tippet rings that's mm-hmm. that was my question here yeah it's hard to get it's hard to get uh, really good tippet rings. It, I think they're better now than they were even like a year ago. Some of them are really soft. You know, just torquing down your line into them would groove them. Hmm. Uh, you got to watch. I, I, I've tried a bunch of different kinds, and I'm still not uh, completely set on what I like yet. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I just figure... I don't think I've I've had them like bend like egg shape. Really? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. But they like that's it. They don't they don't break. They just bend. Yeah, you just have to watch some of them. They're not round. You know, they're flat. Right. With right. Rounded edges. Right. Some of them aren't very rounded. And they'll cut your line. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that for sure. I think yeah. the tippet rings now are where the hooks used to be. You'll get one batch that's nice, pretty smooth, no issues. And the next one you get, pop, pop. The line keeps, you know, breaking on it. Right. That'll be the next thing. I think there's enough, there's enough call for it in just regular. And these things aren't new. I mean, these things were around in the '70s and '80s. The tippet rings. It's just they're, a, just they're coming back into favor right. with all types of fishermen. They save tippet. You know, it's it, it saves. Saves oh. money, saves time. Saves time, definitely. 
I think in the next couple of years, somebody's going to engineer a, a, a good super tippet quality yeah. tippet ring. Yeah. Hmm. They're out there, but they're not to the public. Our guide in Bosnia had tippet rings that were to die for. And that was how many years ago? Yeah, he got them made, custom made, by a friend of his. And uh, he gave us a few. And I hoarded those things <laughs> until I finally lost them all. But they were fantastic. Half the size of anything that's on the market now. Yeah. Well, I like that. I like when they're tiny and you don't even know they're there. Yeah, and that's how these were. You could tie 7 and 8 X tippet right to them and it wouldn't shear off. Right. Like the way these bigger ones do now. I wish I could get more of them because they were really nice. I wonder if you could use a different material. Probably not. I don't know. Probably probably just break. Those things are so small, it's really hard for me to to mess around and experiment with them too much. Yeah. I've, yeah, I've done some. I've I've got a handful of different things I've used, but I'm not I'm not there yet on it. Right. Hmm. That's crazy. Just those little details like that. But, you know, even getting back to the leader talk is, you know, we have guys, and I, I, th I feel like this comes up on, like, all of our shows. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a matter of opinion, if you really think about it, because, you know, everybody thinks, again, the silver bullet. There's a leader out there that's better than that leader. Right. There's not. No. It... Leaders are like underwear, you know, everybody's got their own kind. Yep. And you, what you need a leader to do is not what the next guy needs to do because of either the way that they're doing it or the rod that they're using. You can't, like, leaders just don't go between rods. Right. No, they mm -hmm. do not. There's certain rods have a leader that will do what you want to do Yeah. for you. Now, somebody else using that same rod may need a different leader to get it to do what they want it to do. They just, you just got to keep doing it. Yeah. Like I carry, you know, just bags full of spools of all sorts of materials and just go out on the water. There were days I'd catch like two or three fish all day because all I kept doing was trying cutting stuff. and piecing together leaders. Yeah. And I didn't really care about fishing. I was just trying to get something to... You know, trying to get an angle, trying to get a, a different kind of drop through the air. You just keep playing with it, playing with it, playing with it, playing with it, playing with it. Sometimes you can get it. Sometimes you just got to know when to stop. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, and that's what, like, I couldn't use your leader on my TNT. I, I no. Because it, it's not stiff. Right. And it would just be a night. I mean, I'd probably cast nicely. Probably cast a drag pretty nicely. It would cast a drag well, yeah. Yeah. But, and I, you could not... You would look at my leader that I use on my TNT and be like, "You need to be in like institutionalized because <laughs> it's it's the lightest you could possibly go." Right. Well, that doesn't. I mean, it's I love it's beautiful. It does what I need to do, and that's what like I try to tell people is like, you need to, you need to do your own. You need to find your own, and that takes a while. How long did it take you to find yours? Uh, it took several years of. A lot, I mean, a lot of man hours of messing with things until I got to the point where I was. And then I still, you know, would mess with it, mess with it, mess with it. But that was the default. And I'd always come back to that if something wasn't right. Right. But, it, yeah, a lot of time. And then that's material, too. That's not just length of this pound. Oh, God, yeah. It's, it's everything from diameters to the the actual type of material to the color to do you heat it do you keep it cold in your cooler you keep, in your jeep maybe you keep it in a cooler right. maybe you keep out. it in the freezer yeah you know it's just a, there's a million different things yeah it all matters if if you're trying to get that in tune to it and trying to do make a leader to do certain specific things these tiny little differences show up and then you're just, it's like racing. You're chasing tenths, you know, right. You're just, you're chasing these tiny, tiny little minute changes. Something you just said struck me when you said it, 
about about your cast and your leader to get your leader to do something on your cast. Tim Camesa and I fish a lot in the summertime together and he come up and fish with you. And he was telling me about your cast and, and how you like to make your cast and get it to work. You're actually building your leader for your cast as much as above the water, as much as you are under the water, which is kind of totally unthought of. Yeah. I try to, the way that the fly enters will dictate the rest of the cast. So if, if it's, everything's landing flat all the time, the only thing you can do differently is to add more weight. Right. But if you can manipulate down to like how fast it falls and the manner in which it falls, then you can change all sorts of things without changing the weight, without changing tippet length or this right. or that or the other thing. Yeah, if you're smacking it down on the water every time, it's going to drop the same weight. But if you cast above the water and let it fall, it's got a head start going into the water. And, right. Yeah. And it just falls differently. Yes. I mean, the manner in which it falls is like something fell out of a tree. Right. Natural. Or something like that. It's, it's different. Yeah. So there's there's a lot to that. I mean, that talk about the flies and this and, that and everything else, that – Getting that leader to deliver the fly that way was, I mean, that's, I had 20 years in that. Right. That that was. Yeah, and that's what people need to hear when they think of that stuff. Like, there's not, again, he like, you worked very hard for that. And, you know, people are like, yeah, I'm just going to read this leader and it's going to fit perfectly for me. Right. Your leader might not be good for the other guy, just how his, his, his wrist might be longer than yours or something. It just doesn't work the same way. He's like, man, this leader kind of sucks. What is he talking yeah. about? Or he's using yeah. it on a, you know, a, a nine foot five weight. Right. It, it might be okay. With yeah. And I try right. to tell, I try to tell everybody that, you know, the, the leader, especially if you're trying to get really specific with how you deliver your flies and you want to fish upstream and fish a little bit further than you usually can in a quote unquote tight line, but it's like the way I fish is not tight line at all. No. It's the opposite of tight line, but you need to be able to manipulate it. You have to have control over it. If, if the leader is doing what the leader wants to do, then you're out of the ball game. You have to be able to tell the leader what to do and have it do what you want it to do when you want it. That's why I don't build much taper in there. You can't, Physics is undefeated. If you've got taper built in there, it's going to roll out that way. It has to. Right. It's physics. Right. So if you build one that's relatively straight and control it with the rod that doesn't have a lot of flex, then you can manipulate the leader. So if you've got flex in the rod. It's going everywhere. Right. you got flex in the rod and taper in the leader. You, once they start, they have to go to completion. Yeah. So with your stiffer rod, you can do it such that it doesn't bend. You can overcast these things, then the rod bends, and then you're out of control. But if it's stiff enough, you can, you know, make the cast gentle enough that you can control it. Then you can control how it falls, even kick the fly <laughs> off to the left or off to the right if you want to kind of wrap around a rock or something. Oh, okay. Yeah, simple. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> You know, <laughs> I, you know Jack. Folks, folks, he's not joking. He's not, and and you know Jack, the my mentor that comes into the shop. I watched him one day with a wet fly do that exact same thing. There was he was fishing a drift. There was a tree that laying down in the water, and he just flicked the rod over there. That line went straight, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> turned it a ninety right around the backside of that tree. It was the most beautiful cast I ever seen. I get. I get that stuff to happen on accident. Yeah, I, I get it because it smacks off the tree and spins around the backside of the tree. <laughs> that works. That works as well. Yeah, I couldn't. That when we were fishing in Oregon, when I had four fish in my beat, um, well, I had more, but four scoreable fish in my yeah. beat. I had to hit it off of a, a, a bush, and I mean it was a giant leaf. So if you got stuck in it, you're doing something wrong. Yeah. But I had to bounce it off the leaves. But like, at this certain like speed where i'd bounce it and then it would just fall right straight down and then a fish would eat it every time 
but you had to do, you had to, just yeah. had to do it. So it was like just one of those things where like if you didn't hit that leaf, just take it out of the water. <laughs> just like just pick it out of the water and just try again, and then you're fine. <laughs> but that was that was the fit. that were those uh, white fish. Yeah, dang white fish. They're moody. I caught the same two fish three times each. I didn't say they were smart. I said they're, they're moody. moody yeah. <laughs> yeah, they just wanted that the thing to fall off the leaf, yeah. right down into them. Oh, that was what an experience that was. So, all the places you've got to fish, what's your favorite thing to fish for? Uh, probably brown trout. Brown trout. I, I, I really, I just like brown trout a lot. Um, the whitefish, the mountain whitefish, they're they're cool. I I probably because I don't have access to them, right. That probably makes them seem cooler to me than they really are. But they're just a neat fish. Yeah. Um, they are neat. Yeah. Their mouths are tiny. Yeah. They they act weird. They they do weird things, and they can be right there, and you'd never know it until you do it just right. And there's like twenty of them there. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's kind of why I like. I like them. And brown trout, they're like that, but they just sit there and give you the middle fin. Yeah. <laughs> just let you look at them. They're like, I'm not going to eat that. Yeah. No yeah. matter what you do. Love it. I mean, you know, kind of like the moral of the story is, is that, you know, there's, there's no one thing. Right. There's no – that goes – leaders flies method water type anything i mean even like when you look at your team you fish pretty light relatively your flies in 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 most situations some of your teammates fish heavier i've i've always noticed i don't know if this is true but i've always noticed that like lance just from seeing videos he fishes pretty heavy yeah in general heavier than i do yeah you know, we're polar opposites in the way we fish but you still catch fish you're still yeah. both great angles. Yeah. lance has been known to catch a few fish yeah. <laughs> yeah but that's what that's what like it's uh it's it's crazy to take gospel from somebody and uh, if you're going to take gospel i feel like it's these things that like you don't need this one thing you don't need to be this style you know devon fishes differently miller fishes differently bradley is just bradley there's yeah it's just crazy um but you don't need to do that it's only got to matter to the fish that's right right you know it doesn't they don't they don't read the books they don't read the articles they don't know they're how just, to read they're just fish you'd swear sometimes they can but no they just you know it, if i knew exactly what it was then i'd have a lot more medals <laughs> but you have enough? You have enough? Never enough. You have enough? <laughs> Never enough. I don't have enough. You do. <laughs> what's the what's the toll that the competition at your level takes on you, like time-wise? and it's It depends on, I think, who you are. If, if fly fishing is, is, is like your thing, that's right. what you do. You do it for work, you do it for play, then it's not that big of a deal for me. It it wears. It wears because I I don't I don't particularly like to tie flies. You know, and I have a lot of other things that I do. You know, I basically you know, I hunt, I fish, I trap. That's like that's always been my life. And I've given up a lot of that just to just to prepare to prepare to prepare or to right. you know to fish these tournaments and things like that and it it also i think depends on your personality like if you're one of those people that's able to just shrug it off and you know still do the preparation and everything but just go and and have fun while you're doing it then it's not as big of a deal right but if if you're like really super focused on it and you can't like you can't let it go it's always there like i I came into this room today and it like i got shivers <laughs> because that all this stuff here and like 100 things go through my head yeah. i should be doing this i should be doing that i'm gonna need to get this i need to do this and it's it's always there right but for somebody like me if i'm not that way i can't just roll out of bed 
you know, show up with what I got and do well. So right. It doesn't work that way. So the the part of it that you get tired of, you know, once you're at that quote unquote certain level is the preparation. Yeah. Like I don't know how much longer I'm willing to sit and tie knots for six hours or spend four and a half hours sorting out flies with rolled hook points out of my box. You know, like that's the kind of stuff that you don't see it unless you do it. And if you don't do it, it'll bite you. Right. I talked to, uh, I was talking with uh, one of the BSS, BASS anglers, and I forget which one it was, but somebody asked him, I was in a seminar with him, somebody asked him, how much time do you spend on the water? And he said that I was home last year in 52 weeks, I was home for two complete weeks. One was Christmas and the other one was deer season because I always go home for deer season. Like to compete at the level that he was competing at, it cost him that much time with his family, from his family and that kind of stuff. And like, it's a different, it's a little different what you're into, but it's not you to be at that level. You have to be, as we was talking to, to Gordon, Gordon was saying, you don't go fishing, you go practice. Right. It's, it, there's a difference between fishing and practice. It isn't, f- not that it's not fun, but there's a different kind of fishing you do. Right. And it, it, like I said, it depends on the, like you said, quote unquote, level you're trying to get right. to or what you're trying to get out of it. Like nobody's in charge of what you as an angler are trying to get out of it. Right. None of their business. I know for me, I would, it's been years since I just went fishing to just go fish because I, I physically couldn't do it. Even if I said I was going to do it and I get to the water and I see a water type and I start thinking this, I start thinking that, mm-hmm. like, what if this, what if that, or when I was trying to figure out these leaders and trying to figure out my quote unquote style, well, what will this do? What will that do? You know, if I do this. If this, then that, if, if A, then B, those are all the things that I just couldn't rest until I knew so that when it come time to do it, I didn't have to think about it. I've already done it. Right. Like the, the preparation, you've got to, you got to have a screw loose. <laughs> if, if you're going to, if you're going to do the amount of preparation that it takes, at least in my opinion, for the way I am to be able to go to all these places that you've never been before. And still, you know, have a chance. It's in that preparation. Yeah. Right. That's the thing I I noticed. Like, I don't know. It's crazy. You wouldn't call you an athlete, but your the mentality level is athletic. Yeah, the mentality level has to be the same. Yes, it has to be. Yeah, is any major league sports person i mean you have to commit to the time the the effort and the work to put into it to be where you're at so that's behind the scenes stuff right yeah nobody thinks about not at all leaders or because people i mean you know I, i'm guilty of it is just you know sticking with a leader for a while because it does work for me right and you know i'm not to that level where those little minute details might change something maybe i, I will try it but and that's kind of where i'm at i'm now in my spot in my fishing where I'm experimenting with leaders playing around every time I tie one, I tie it a little bit different just to see if there's something there that I like about it. That's that I did different. If I can cut down some time on it or whatever. But so I think a lot of people don't think about that. All they think about is, you know, what fly to use, go fishing. So it's a different aspect. Yeah. For I, sure. I tell people all the time. It's, it's all, what you're you know what you're trying to get out of it right if you if you don't ever want to do a competition thing that's fine but you know some of these ways that we go about doing it you know will help yeah i mean we're just fishing in in the long run right right and if you are in it but you know you're not trying to get to worlds or whatever you can go have a good time you know compete on the one or two day weekend deals you don't have to go go wild, go crazy. Nope. Yeah. Well, for me, that's what I don't have any desire to be at your level, and I don't. I'm not even don't even really have a desire to compete so much. 
but it's the competitive things that I want to pick up and incorporate into my fishing to make me a better fisherman because I don't have a lot of time to be on the water because of everything going on here at the shop and and different and my family and stuff like that so I want to be as productive as I can when I'm on the water that's why I gave up hunting pretty much because I would sit in a tree stand and not see any deer all day and just think well I could be doing this at the shop I could be doing that but when I get on the water I oh I know there that rock right there I know what to do I can pull fish out behind that rock and I feel productive when I'm doing it so I want to do everything in my power to be as productive as I can either whether I compete or not all these things that we talked about here today are the things that make the fishing more interesting and, and better for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty neat to see, uh, even just some of these things that we learned from competition and even from just, just talking, right. You know, um, and we, you know, we talk about simplifying things. I don't know if you simplify things. Yeah. Um, quite a bit actually compared to some people like i said i've got that for rivers it's basically that one liter you know there's guys that are using you know three four different liters uh, depending on conditions or what rod or what you know if you're using heavy flies light flies guys will have different liters and i dabbled in that years ago i just found it better for me to just have that leader that way i could tie it have it ready like in worlds just there in italy middle of the session one of my leaders pulled off the line so from doing all this crazy preparation and having everything you know i had several more on me and was able to just go switch it out and didn't even have to go back to the bank now that was years of being ready for that one you know, mm-hmm. little time that was yep. the first time it had ever happened i've had it happen you know before you're getting ready for a session you know take the put your rod together put the put the reel on there you know kind of straighten the leader out it pops off well you know you're on the bank you got your stuff you can do it i was out in the middle of out in the middle of the river that may have saved you know 15 minutes some fish 15 minutes could be a lot of fish in that arena is a lot of time yeah you know yep yeah 15 out of two hour session or something like that is huge yeah and just not having to get too worked up about it yeah it's like it it broke off all right i've got three more in this pocket yep i know they're here i know i got you know i have a toothpick on here to tie the nail knot there's no there's no second guessing. There's no what if. There's no yep. oh my god. I've already prepared for that. Yep. I've been doing the same thing. Whoop. Oopsie. Drum roll. For years, never had to use it. Yeah. But you know, when that, that was to me that all that time was worth it for that one scenario where it actually did happen. Right. It's just like breaking off a fly for you. Oh. <laughs> I, I I lose a lot of flies, a lot. I mean, to, for a guy that doesn't like to tie, it's not helpful. I mean, to, to get to some of the fish, yeah, you got to sacrifice. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't, <laughs> you can't be shy. I mean, you've got to get it to where they are. And like I said, I love brown trout. Brown trout love cover, love trees, right. on the bank and squirms. And the more, the more they know people around, the tighter they get to that cover. Yep. And if, if you're not willing to to try to get it in there, up under something. You're just not going to catch them. Yep. And, and, you know, on the bottom as well, you know, fish, mo- most of what they eat, they're not really picking it off in the drift. They're going down and getting it off of the bottom. So if they're used to eating off of the bottom, probably want to have your flies down on the bottom. Right. You're going to lose flies. Yep. Just, just the way it's got to be. That's, I don't even think about it anymore. I'm so used to just breaking off, having it you know, that be the way that it is yep. that I, I'd forget what it was like to not lose flies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's a, uh, I mean, when you have worse days than others, it's, oh. it's sad. You go home feeling defeated. Even if you caught a million fish, it's like, yeah, man, and I got to fill that row up. Well, that goes back to the thing I talked about before with your default. You know, you have, you 
travel across the country, you go somewhere, your very first session is trees and logs and stuff everywhere. <laughs> you, you lose, you know, 17, 18 flies in the morning. You got to go fish again in the afternoon. If you've got that stuff ready, then you're set. You're all, all right. right. Yep. That's why everybody questions me. Why do you tie so many of the same thing? I mean, I can never go out to a river with three of something. Yeah. With a half dozen something. No way. Even if I lose one, you yeah. never know. You absolutely never know. Yeah. It happens still like every time because somebody has something, you know, somebody on your team was like, oh, I was getting them on this. What's that? I've never seen it. I'll tie a couple of those up. They end up working. Right. Yeah. You got right. Three of them. Right. Yep. You know, it happens oh, it all happens, the time. But you don't want to. Yeah. No. But there's no way to prepare for that. The stuff you know you're going to use, that you can yeah. prepare for. Yeah. Yep. I mean, this is long as dirt. I love it. This is. We're going to cut this into two episodes. Well, we have cut it into two episodes. I should put it that way. This was one of probably the most informative podcasts we've done so far. An in-depth podcast. So we really thank you for coming on with us here, Pat. Thanks for having me. No problem. And uh, we just want to, like I said, get back and listen to the first episode. If for some reason you're joining us in the second episode here. But uh, just... Check us out on our social media as or social media platforms and stuff, and we're gonna find out where Pat. Where can we find you at? Oof, under a large flat rock somewhere. That's a good place. Sometimes uh, I wish I could be there too. No, I don't. I don't really have a social media presence, albeit um, for like guiding or anything like that. It's through competitiveangler.com. Other than that, I kind of stay. Low key, stay hidden. Yeah, sounds good. So if you wanna, if you're interested in a trip with Pat, you can contact them through Competitive Angler. And uh, like I said, uh, anything you want to add before we close up here, Nick? I mean, I, I know you wanted to, you wanted to say a few things before we got done about some of your your favorite things in the oh. world. Yeah, one of the the parts that doesn't get talked about a lot, especially when you're talking about the competitive fishing is dry flies yeah and there's a lot more of it that goes on than than people think uh there's a lot of articles and things that are written and a lot of times they're not written by anybody that's been in a comp or even been to one right so they just automatically think that it's you know nymphs 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 and there's always going to be a lot of nymph fishing because that's what they eat but especially if you go overseas like a lot of countries, fish are just as willing to come up and eat a dry fly as they are a nymph. So your dry fly game, per se, has to be just as good as anything else. And one of the, what I brought you guys today is a sampling of the high and dry floatants, an American company that they make this stuff in southwestern Pennsylvania, and it's, it's the best floatant that I've ever used. Like, I, I put it on my leader. I put it on my cider. In know, place I, of... In as, pla- a pre, as a pre-treatment. Oh. The day before. Man, you go through a lot of that stuff then, don't oh, you? Oh, man, I'm telling oh. you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get a camel back with that stuff. <laughs> it. Just squirt it on my leader. No, you can put it on fly line. Uh, indicators, if you're fishing like the New Zealand style or yarn indicators. Right, wool. That stuff, it it will float it, and it will float it like a cork, and it's non-toxic. There's no no hydrocarbons in it, no white gas, Coleman lantern fuel. It's uh, it's a great it's a great product, and it's it has helped me with my CDC dries like nothing else. I mean, it. I don't know what how do they make it. I don't know exactly what they've got going on with it, but it's the best I've used. And they're they're just starting to to get a presence all over the country. Um if you can if you can find it. Get it. Get it. Yep. All right. Well we're gonna have a link to it here in uh in the description so you we you can remember what to look for there. And uh other than that, I think that's about it for this show. Yeah, we've got covered a lot of stuff. You have anything else you wanna add? Man, I didn't know I had what I had. <laughs> that's, the, that's the nice thing, man. Yeah. You just 
just rocked it. That was good. So we're gonna we'll have to have you back sometime for sure. Now that I know where it's at. Yeah, now that you know. Yeah, we're not too far away. Nope. Nope. Just so. good fishing. Yeah, we'll have you we'll have you down to fish for the day. We can yeah. do that. Yeah, definitely. So all right, everybody. Thanks again for listening to us and tuning in to us and uh check us out on all our social media platforms like i said earlier like our website and facebook and instagram and until next time guys we'll see you on the water or on the airways thanks everybody listening to this episode of the Bugs and Beard Podcast. This podcast was brought to you in part by Holsingersflyshop.com and Trotted Goods. We truly appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to our show. If you enjoyed the show, please take a second to smash the like button and subscribe to us. You can find our show on popular podcast apps like Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and iTunes. Until next time, keep your tip up and tight lines. <laughs>